him. He demonstrated power over hunger and and feeding 5,000 or more. Providing for their needs, he's Lord of, of all things. He provides for hunger. He demonstrated his power over nature. He spoke to a storm that, that threatened to drown all those in the boat. And he just spoke and whoop, it just went calm. He demonstrated power over nature. He demonstrated power over money. There's a story where they needed to pay money. And Jesus says, Peter, go down and catch a fish. There'll be a coin in the mouth of a fish. He does that. There's money there provided. He's Lord over all financial needs. He demonstrated power over death itself. When his dear friend Lazarus had died, was in the grave for a number of days, he came and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he was raised from the dead and came forth. All these things are meant to show that Jesus is powerful and Lord of all, yet in this story we see him so weak and pathetic. As he goes out, it says in the story that Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry his cross. Normally, in those days when they did crucifixion, the criminal accused or the convicted would carry their own cross to the hill as part of the punishment, part of the shame of being crucified. Jesus was so weakened that he couldn't even carry his own cross. He's so weakened by the ordeal, he can't carry, he can't even make it there. He stumbles, someone else has to help him. This same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee with words, could not muster enough strength to carry his cross. And then he goes up to the cross. He's crucified. And they mock him. They mock him. He had talked about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. They didn't understand what he was saying, but that was quite a feat because the temple was this humongous, humongous building, this humongous complex. It was large and glorious, had taken a long time to build, and Jesus said, destroy it and I will rebuild it in three days, making an a audacious claim. And they turned that on him on the cross. He's on the cross and they mocked him. You're the one who said you could rebuild the temple? And there you are. Unable to come down from the cross. What a pathetic loser. That was the, what was going on as they mocked. He was weak. He was being really destroyed as the temple himself. For when he said that, if you destroy the temple in three days, I will rebuild it, he didn't mean the actual structure. He meant himself. Because Jesus is the place where we meet God. The temple is the place where we meet God and through which we worship God and and enjoy His presence. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. He Himself as God come in the flesh to live a perfect life and to offer up that life for us and then to be raised from the dead on the third day is the means by which we know God and encounter God through faith in Jesus. So he is the temple, and he was speaking of himself, and he knew in order to rebuild the temple, it first had to be destroyed, that he had to die in weakness and in shame to bear sin. So that on the third day, after he had humbled himself and had completely obeyed, he would be raised again, indestructible, indestructible everlasting in life for all those who trust in him. Yet he was weak, and he was pathetic on the cross. Yet in that weakness and through that weakness, he demonstrates his ultimate power over sin and death for all those who trust in him. And through him and through what he's done, he will one day finish the work 
and restore and renew all of creation. And yet it was through weakness, and that's so important for us to get, to understand that it's through weakness he shows himself strong. It's instructive to us as well. You see, we feel that weakness. And if we're honest with ourselves, we ourselves are very weak. We ourselves are very incapable. We ourselves are broken. We ourselves fail and fall. And the, and the cross and the resurrection teach us a valuable lesson about life. God doesn't ask us to come to Him with it all together. He doesn't ask us to come strong and with all the answers. He asks us to come and to live in this weakness, to face the reality that we are weak. And as we identify with Christ and understand that weakness and come to the Father, dependent on Him, that's when we're strongest. It's this paradox of Christianity that's so important to understand. And it's so contrary to what we like to hear. I mean, really, the, the, the voices of our culture tell us, no, no, that's not how you do it. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Make it happen. Accomplish something that you can be proud of. And there's nothing wrong with accomplishing things. We're certainly called to do things. But that's not the ultimate mindset that God calls us to. And it's not reality. The reality is we are so dependent in every way. Every breath that we take is a gift. We, we live hanging on a thread, really, every day. God is the one who sustains us. God is the one who brings the sun up every morning. God is the one who provides family and friends and income for us in all these ways. He's the one who sustains us in the health that we have. We are weak every day, and we just need to face this reality that we are weak, yet in that weakness, when we understand our weakness and our dependency and turn to Him, then we're strong. Not because we ourselves are strong, but because there's a God who has died in weakness and been raised on the third day, victorious over sin, death, and weakness on our behalf. And when we run to Him and put our trust in Him, we find strength. So this Easter, maybe one of the things that you can do this Easter is just to embrace your weakness, admit it, recognize just as Jesus was weak on the cross, you are weak and you need him because through his weakness, he redeems us. Through his weakness, he is strong because he was raised on the third day and in him we find our strength. See, the one who appeared so pathetically weak really is incredibly strong. The third surprise is that the one who can't save himself, saves others. He can't save himself in order to really save us. And there's this irony in the story where they say he saved others, he cannot save himself. And they point to all that he's done to save others. They point to all the, the things that he had done to heal people and to help them. They're, they're referencing that, that he, went, he had this life of saving others, of doing miracles, of rescuing people from sickness and hunger and demonic things and, and, and even death. And he did all these things, yet he can't save himself. How silly. That's, they're mocking him for that, but you know what? They're telling the truth. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Because in order to save others, 
he can't save himself. In order to save others, in order to rescue others, he cannot rescue himself. Because there's a, there's a sickness more serious than health problems, more serious than hunger, more serious than physical death. There's a sickness called sin the Bible talks about. And we don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to face the reality. It's uncomfortable. But you know what? It, it's the reality. It's, it's, it's what we live in. There's this terrible disease in all of humanity called sin. The Bible calls sin. And it's this crazy propensity to try to live life without God, if we wanted to sum it up. It's trying to live life without God. It's trying to define ourselves without Him, without the one who made us, without depending on the one. It's saying, I want to go my own way. I want to define my own rules. I want to go in my own strength. I want to live for what I want to live for. Those all really would be sin. They are a lie. They are a contradiction. They are a slap in God's face because we were made by Him for Him. We're, we're not made to live apart from Him. It's really ridiculous for us to think that we could somehow exist without Him. We're made by Him he is the one who gives us life and sustains us. It, it, it would be like, I don't know, it would be like a, an electric utility, a vacuum cleaner thinking on itself, I can be my own vacuum cleaner and go off and do my own thing without being plugged in, without being dependent on its power source. We need God. We depend on Him. He's made, we're made by Him and for Him, and yet we go off in our rebellion and sin and this sickness. And the, and the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. And so if we choose to live this way, we will continue in it. And that's more serious than any sickness. To be cut off from God. To continue in our relationship. And, and humans are made to live forever. So if we are separated from God now, if we're living our own way and not turning to Him, we're going to continue in that state forever. The Bible calls that hell. It's, it's an unpleasant thought. But a reality. God is a holy God, and He's a God of justice. And He will see to, to it that justice is done, that, that the, the consequences of our choices of, of sin will be lived out. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But there's good news. You see... Jesus went to that cross and determined not to save himself. He determined to go to that cross to, to die and in that place of death to take upon himself the sins of the world. To take upon himself your sins. These, these, the punishment for your sins. These choices that you have made to rebel against God. He took upon himself because he loves you and he wants to rescue you. In order to rescue you, he had to pay for your sins so the penalty could be paid for. So that you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. So that you could come before God and be received as sons and daughters forgiven as you turn to Christ and put your faith in Him. And He guaranteed the results by rising from the dead on the third day. He said, this is valid. I've done it. I have paid for it. And I've risen to life for you. And I offer you that same life. You see, God is holy and just, and he must, he must respond in justice to our choices. Yet he's God of great compassion and love. It says in John 3.16, perhaps you've heard this verse before, for God so loved the world. Hear your own name in that. For God so loved 
Michael or John or Susan or whatever your name is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever, that's you, that's me, whoever, all you need to do is believe in him, trust in him. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't save himself so he could save you from your sins. And so you could have life in him. So what they're saying to him on the cross is true. He saved others. He can't save himself. Exactly. And he offers himself to you. That you would receive his salvation and forgiveness. Maybe you've never done that. He offers it. He comes to you and offers himself to you that you would receive forgiveness. I think I I thought of a picture of this. Um, It's like we're all in our boats out on the water, and some of us are caught in a storm, and we know it. And we're on that boat, and our ship is sinking. And he comes alongside in his Coast Guard cutter uh, and says, here I am. Jump on board. Stop trusting in your own boat. Stop living and doing this thing on your own. Come to me. I offer forgiveness. I offer eternal life. Here, I've been raised from the dead. I'm alive. Come and be secure in me. He calls us to that. And and all we need to do is get off our ship and get on the boat. We need to trust him and turn. Some of us, though, are actually, we're sailing along in our yacht, and there's no storm that we can see. And he comes along with the cutter and says, I can rescue you. Come to me. I'm like, "What what do you mean rescue? It's a beautiful day. I'm on my yacht. I'm going my own way. I don't need you but we don't see there's a storm ahead. There's a storm on the horizon that's coming. It's judgment day. God will ask us to give account for everything we've done in our whole lives. We have to stand before him. And if we're standing on our own two feet, we're in trouble. Jesus comes alongside ahead of time and says, come on off your yacht and come on this Coast Cut Carter with me. Come and trust in me now before it's too late. You see, he offers himself for us. Wherever you are, maybe you're in the storm and you know it, and you just need to say today, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. You can just pray that simple prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Now lead me as king. But maybe you are in a place where you just think, I'm all set. I'm on my yacht. And I just would would ask you to consider what the Bible says about your future, what the Bible says about your present experience as well, that you might come to him. You see, Jesus could not save himself because he wanted to save you and me and his people. The final surprise of Easter that really sums them all up is in chapter 28 of Matthew 20, of the book of Matthew. It's the, the surprise that came at the end. And this surprise, by the way, really no one expected. All his friends had been around him. They had followed his teaching. They had listened to him. They had believed in him. And yet they did not know what was coming. When he died on that cross, they thought it was game over. This is all a failure. Everything I had hoped is dashed. I don't know what's going on. They were confused. They didn't know what to expect. And then something incredible happened on that third day. It says in Matthew 28, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The greatest surprise of all in this story is that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He rose victorious over sin and death. The crucifixion is not the end of the story. It's part of the story. It's essential in the story. What he did in dying for our sins, taking our sins upon himself to pay for them, to give us life. But, but the story goes on in the ending of this part of the story that on the third day, to everyone's surprise, he rose alive forevermore, victorious over sin and death. That is the greatest surprise of the Easter story. He is risen. He has risen indeed. And this story is given to us that we might be surprised by it. Again and again. If the band could come up as we close. Maybe for you, for the first, this is the first time you've heard this whole story or maybe just heard it put this way and God wants you to be surprised by it. But he wants you to be surprised by it that you would see how wonderful it is and put your faith in this story. Put your faith in Christ. And you just simply pray and respond to that truth. I actually would like just to lead you in that prayer uh, in case you're wondering, well, how do I do this? How do I respond? What does it look like? And, and I don't think God's worried about the details. What he cares about is the fact that you're saying, I believe and I need you. But let me help you. Maybe put some words to that. You can just pray with me this way. Lord, thank you that you died for me. Forgive me for my sins. And lead me in my life. Amen. Simple prayer. And I would love to talk with you if that's the first time you prayed that. It's not going to be the last time you pray it. Because I pray it every day. If you're a believer, we, we need him every day. The surprising experience doesn't stop with that first day. It's to be every day. And my prayer is for each one here that as, as we go from this place on Easter, we will be freshly surprised by Jesus and all of who he is, that he is the true king. Though mocked as king, he is the true king. Though pathetically weak, he is most powerful. Though he couldn't save himself, he came to save us. Though dead, he is now alive forevermore. Amen. 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 Let's stand as we worship God and remember this glorious story of Easter.